Hey, what's going on guys? Welcome to episode 9 of FFB Unwrapped. This is Perry Aston, joined by Adam Stark. How you doing, my man? I am doing great, just except the fact that no more gold Tate on the Lions. Yeah, so. we have an upset Detroit fan over here, but you did make an announcement to me before we started. Who did they just sign to fill that role? Bruce Ellington. Yeah, they just brought him, and they cleared a spot for him by cutting Amir Abdullah, which is long overdue and needs to be done. So. Wow. Yeah, power moves in Detroit right now. We got Bruce Ellington coming to fill in for Golden Tate. We are Super Bowl bound. This is what is going on right here, Adam. Let's get excited. <laughs> hey, uh, one day, man. More like, more like Matthew Sackford, right? This yeah. game was atrocious. We're going to jump right into that in a little bit. Before we do, thank you to our sponsor, Rotosurance, the only fantasy football insurance company. Please use promo code UNWRAP for 20% off your one-time purchase. Protect your fantasy football investment today with Rotosurance. Go check them out at rotosurance.com. You can go check us out on Twitter. Go follow my buddy Adam here at EverydayFFB. You can follow me on Twitter at Perry Aston. While you're on Twitter, make sure to go retweet our Kareem Hunt tweet for the signed hat giveaway that we're doing on 11-19, Monday Night Football, Mexico City versus the Rams. Please go retweet that and follow both of our pages so that you're eligible for that signed Kareem Hunt hat. Say Kareem Hunt hat three times fast. Kareem Hunt hat. Kareem Hunt hat. Yeah, there's absolutely no way. Yeah, there's no way. But we'll also keep an eye out for our Melvin Gordon signed jersey giveaway that we're going to be doing in the near future and multiple other ones that we're going to be doing. Adam's on fire with those. Make sure to listen to our podcast on podcast.com or the Apple Podcast app as well. Let's jump right in, Adam. Let's talk trade deadline in the NFL as well as fantasy football. Let's talk about a couple trades that happened this last week and see how some of these new guys performed on their new teams. Golden Tate, of course, on Philadelphia having their bye. We don't have any stats to work off right now, but moving forward for this week, what's your prediction for Golden Tate and how he's going to work in this Philadelphia offense, considering you've seen so much of him in Detroit? I think it pretty much eliminates Nelson Aguilar to start. It's definitely going to open up some red zone opportunities and jump balls for Alshon Jeffrey, probably take some pressure off of him. Definitely another weapon for Wentz, so I see his value going up. The backfield is kind of just a shootout, like you don't really know who it's going to be. It could be Adams, Smallwood, or Clement. Neither of them are real premier backs you would really want your team. So I don't see much of the run game being affected by this. I think Gold Tate fits in nicely with this team. I think he should continue his role of getting 26% of targets, which he did for the Lions. And I just think he's going to succeed in Philadelphia more than he did when he was in Detroit. Rummy, he did succeed in Detroit, you know, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. He's been Matthew Stafford's number one guy. And like you said with that target share, let's talk really quick about what this means for Detroit because that's a lot of targets opening up. Obviously, it shows that they're confident in Kenny Galladay. It shows that they're confident in the other guys that they do have there, even though they did bring in, obviously, Bruce Ellington right now. What is your thoughts on the Detroit fantasy receivers moving forward and how this affects them, and if it's a negative or a positive thing? I definitely think Marvin Jones and Galladay get bumps. It was kind of funny. The guy who filled the Golden Tate role this week was actually Theo Riddick. He came in, cut seven catches, eight targets, 36 yards. I mean, nothing much, but he got a lot of targets in receptions. on Johnson yep. um, didn't do too much. He did have five targets with three catches. Riddick was kind of the one fulfilling that spot, but I just think he was a temporary hold. I think Bruce Ellington will come in and maybe be something. He could be relevant, perhaps, but not anytime soon. You'd 
want Lions receiver, I would have to go with Marvin Jones just because he's top three in red zone targets, and I think it's just Stafford's guy. I like Galladay a lot myself just for his potential upside. A possession receiver, while I look at Marvin Jones as the deep guy and the guy that's going to have a lot of upside, but if he doesn't catch that long bomb, he could give you a dud that week. So for Galladay, I like him a little bit more on the consistency side. But for Golden Tate, I don't have an issue with him on any team. I think he is such a solid player, a leader, and I think no matter where he's going to play, he's going to make that team better. And with him in Philadelphia, you're 100% right. Wentz value is going to go up. And I even think Alshon Jeffrey is going to benefit majorly from this. Definitely have a lot of pressure relieved off him. Like you said, Nelson Aguilar, I'm not loving what this is doing to his fantasy value at all. Let's move on to Amari Cooper. Heavy ticket for him, a first-round pick for Dallas. His first game right now, five receptions, 58 yards, and a touchdown. Give me your initial thoughts on Amari. Yeah, he looked like a stud. It was right off the bat he got that touchdown. Eight minutes. Eight minutes into his Cowboy career, he caught a touchdown. It looked like that was a first-round investment starting to pay off, even though obviously it was a heavy ticket. He looks like the only guy out there that can create space because the other guys on that team, it's a bunch of number twos, maybe a bunch of number threes. Amari Cooper may not have been playing as well lately, but we brought this up on previous podcasts. He's 24 years old, and he's made two Pro Bowls. The guy's got some skills, and obviously now, I'm not saying this is a much better situation with how Dallas is going right now, but obviously he started flaming out in Oakland. I think it's just one of those new faces, new places kind of thing. So yeah, continue with Amari. What do you think about him moving forward, and if Dak Prescott's going to stick around? I think... Dak's here to stay. Jerry Jones just came out and said he's just loves the guy and he's going to be the quarterback for the future. So obviously he's going to be the Cowboys franchise player and Zeke, of course. I think what we saw was Amari Cooper started to help out the other receivers. It yes. kind of took some pressure off of Gallup and even Hearns caught it his only target, but it was a nice catch, and yes. you could see even Zeke Elliott got into the passing game with five targets, and he's been pretty effective in the passing game, and I just think it'll take a little bit of pressure off of these Dallas receivers, and I think Michael Gallup could be someone you might want to keep your eye on for the next couple games. I totally agree, and with Zeke Elliott, this was something that we predicted before the season started. I said around 80 targets, and he is on pace for right around that number. He has to be more involved in the pass game with how it's been set up this year. But it is good to see a guy like Amari Cooper. And if you watched any of the tape on that game, he looked very good. He looked very skilled. He looked excited. He looked like he was in a brand new offense, first day of school kind of feeling. I love seeing it as a Dallas Cowboys fan. But moving into the next week right now, you just came off a bye. You dropped a tough game. And now you're at 3-5. and five. This is the kind of thing that gets coaches fired. Jason Garrett is a very mediocre coach at best. He's very good at keeping the team around 500, give or take a game either way. But you're two games under 500. Obviously, Jerry Jones has a history of backing up his guys. You know, we're going to keep with with Garrett. We're going to keep with Dak. That's what he just released today. We're just at least about Dak, but he hasn't said anything about Garrett. But in weeks prior, when he's been on, quote-unquote, the hot seat, he's been there to back him up. I think this is a time where you have to reevaluate what you have going on there, at least with the coaching staff. You have a new guy that came in that you just spent a first-round pick on, Yes, they tried to get him the ball, and it worked. So that's not the one thing that's going to sit there and get him fired. But you have a great defense who just 
Lost a game to Mariota, who hasn't played very well and looked like a stud last night. Did look great. It was an all-around team game, and they're not closing out games properly. The team is very talented. You can see it. You can see the skill position players are starting to improve. New O-line coach. The defense has been a top-five defense all year. There's no reason why they shouldn't be winning. And not winning, at least towards 500, right? That's Jason Garrett's move. You keep your team at 500, you know, and you sit there and you clap on the sideline like a monotone robot. But yep. You're not at 500, are you, Mr. Garrett? So I'm saying right now, Jerry Jones, PSA from Adam Stark and Perry Aston, please reevaluate your coaching staff. But Amari Cooper, good move so far. It's looking like it's starting to pan out. Demarius Thomas, another guy that was on the move. He's on Houston now. And of course, the first game that he plays is against the Denver Broncos. He shows up three receptions, 61 yards, no touchdowns. Not the most exciting game. I wouldn't say he underwhelmed considering, you know, 61 yards in your first game with a brand new offense isn't awful at all, but obviously not jumping off the page like Amari's stats were with that touchdown or anything like that. Tell me about Demarius Thomas, how that affects Hopkins, how it affects the Houston Texans, and what that leaves for Denver with Cortland Sutton over there and what they got going on. Tell me what you think, Adam. There was a few things I noticed from this game. Demarius Thomas, he caught all three of his targets, and he looked great in that first quarter. They threw him that little screen pass, which he used to do in his early years and was very effective with it. So perhaps they could start going back to his little bubble screens and making that work for him. Just getting the ball to him in open space. That's it. He's just such a big guy. And what does this do for Hopkins? Because obviously it has to take away a little bit of pressure. Yeah, yeah. I think he's kind of fulfilling a Will Fuller role. Not so much the same player, but so much as the same type of talent. Like, they both can make a play. Both have to be accounted for. So, therefore, it's you can't always double-team Hopkins and just glue two guys on him and not worry about that number two. Because the number two would have been Kiki Kuti, who I think they wouldn't really have paid attention to defenses, and they would have just swarmed Hopkins and made sure they took him out of the game. And another thing that was kind of weird in this game was Alfred Blue ended up outrushing Lamar Miller. So I'm not sure if that was just a fluky thing or if Lamar Miller is really starting to trend down and perhaps maybe Dante Foreman could come back at some point in the season. But running back situations starting to get a little interesting there. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the split back thing that they got going on. It kind of reminds me of what it's going on in New York for the Jets going right now with Crowell and Elijah McGuire coming back. It seemed like it'd be a pretty good split, obviously, with Crowell leading the way, but it wasn't that. Elijah McGuire outsnapped Crowell 54% to 34% and had a lot more upside considering McGuire was a big part of the pass game. So it's definitely concerning for Crowell fans if you don't have him handcuffed with Elijah McGuire. Same kind of thing where one week it could be one guy, one week it could be the other. And that's the last thing that you want in fantasy football right now. I have a couple more notes and of course the situation that me and you wanted to talk about. Le'Veon Bell, it's coming toward the deadline now to where he's going to have to come back with the team within this next week or he's not going to be able to come back at all because of the team's collective bargaining agreement. Let's talk a little bit of stats before we give our predictions for what's going to be going on for the rest of the season, which I feel like we've done a hundred times this year. You have to keep doing it with the Waldo, Le'Veon hiding in Miami kind of situation we got going on. It's almost comical. But let's talk statistics. Le'Veon Bell threw eight games in 2017, 194 rushes, 35 receptions, five touchdowns, 979 total yards, 143.4 fantasy points. James Conner threw eight games of 2018, 151 rushes, which is less, 
38 receptions, three more than Le'Veon, 10 touchdowns, five more than Le'Veon last year, 1,085 total yards, about 100 more yards than Le'Veon last year, 189.5 fantasy points, about 45 points higher than Le'Veon last year. What's your initial reaction on this? Because... I don't think Le'Veon Bell's missed as much as everyone thought he was going to be. Yeah, and I think he is realizing that himself and is not nervous, but kind of seeing that James Conner is actually a stud and he's been balling out for the Steelers. But the one thing that kind of bothers me with all these Le'Veon Bell, James Conner comparisons are that Le'Veon Bell hasn't played at all this year. I don't like it with people compare his last year's stats with James Conner's this year's stats. I want to see Le'Veon play at least two games to compare, you know, him and James Conner for this year because if he was playing in that role, you don't know if he could have done better than James Conner because James Conner did have a couple of games where he kind of flamed out. Granted, most of his other games have been just monstrous. Could Le'Veon have done better if he played with the Steelers right now than James Conner? Probably not. But he has that talent where he could have. Like, you don't know with Juju Smith-Schuster coming on, the offensive line's healthy, the team's healthy, the defense is looking better than it has looked late last year and early this year. You really don't know for sure if James Conner is the clear-cut better back this year than Le'Veon Bell until he gets some snaps. I can see where your head's at. Obviously, we can only compare the numbers that we do have. A few more more numbers that I'm going to throw out from PFF data, Le'Veon Bell, 20 2015 through 2017, 2.88 yards after contact and 0.16 missed tackles force per carry. James Conner in 2018, 3.03 yards after contact, which is higher, and 0.23 missed tackles force per carry, which is higher as well. In statistics, it's not even a debate. James Conner is absolutely destroying Le'Veon in every single category if you're comparing last year's stats and this year. And I know that you hate that, but obviously it's all that we can do. But right now, Le'Veon's gotten past a point where he can be traded to another team. And like you said, I think he's realizing that, I don't want to say he's replaceable, but I think he just has the worst luck ever because his... Exactly. I think any other guy that would have came in there maybe would have underwhelmed, but he just got so unlucky with James Conner with such an awesome story coming from Pittsburgh, playing at Pittsburgh, you know, a cancer survivor, the entire city going around him. It's a storybook ending for everybody except for Le'Veon Bell. I think this is the worst thing that could have happened for him. Him and his agent put out a hand that was supposed to to work for him, put pressure on the Steelers, put pressure on the NFL, and get him potential girly money. Now, at this point, the Steelers don't really want him because, one, he's caused a big stir doesn't probably have the best relationship with the team. It just can't rub anybody the right way. And how do you not like James Conner? It seems like he's such a good guy. From reports that I've heard, he goes and thanks every single offensive lineman personally, buys them dinner whenever he wins Offensive Player of the Week or anything like that. He gives all the credit to his offensive line and the teammates around him. He's a young guy, but it looks like he is a veteran already. He's handling the spotlight. And this is not probably an easy thing to fill in for Le'Veon Bell. And with all the drama happening... It's the perfect guy to handle the situation, and it makes it even worse for Le'Veon because now if he goes somewhere else, do you see him getting that girly money? Do you see him getting that security? He's going to have to go prove it somewhere again unless he comes back to the Steelers right now and somehow finds a way to duel back this and prove his worth for the rest of the year. Now, that leads me to my next question. Is that what he's going to do? He needs to be back this week to play. I have a feeling he's going to come back considering we saw that tweet that said goodbye Miami or farewell Miami, whatever it did say. I mean, hello Pittsburgh, Adam? I'm not really sure. 
It'll be interesting, but the Steelers are playing Thursday night, so I really don't see him playing in this game. He might show up Wednesday and practice or just show up or something, but I don't see him playing at all Thursday. I think realistically, next Sunday would be the date to target. It's a really weird situation. It's something that I've never really seen before or even figure out and i've jumped back and forth between oh he's gonna show up to no he's, he's holding out the full year he's not playing it's, it screws with your mind it's, man it's <laughs> mind-blowing at the very least and it sucks i know i was talking to someone on twitter who was debating with me about Le'Veon's stats and if it would be replaceable and he was kind of saying the same thing as you conspiracy theories and if this and that and I was like well the one thing we can all agree on is it sucks to not have Le'Veon Bell on a football field and I think we all universally can agree on that I hate how he handled this off the field with his agent and how immature this has all been but at the end of the day we're not seeing him play football and as fans we're losing from that so I hope that this all gets figured out ASAP I think at the end of the day everyone will get what they want yeah. it's just this is a way different process that both sides could have imagined and it's kind of made things a lot more challenging for both parties I guess and yeah. I think Le'Veon had a mindset of oh D'Angelo Williams when he filled in for me he fulfilled my role but not what I could be. He didn't ever imagine James Conner would be this good, is now just kind of sitting back watching, rooting for his team because, you know, he kind of has to and it's his team. At the end of the day, he's watching a guy slowly steal his job. And you let him steal your job. You exactly called yeah, out, you pretty much called out sick every day at work and they had to find a replacement and that replacement ended up being just as good, if not better, statistically than you. So we can use conspiracy theories all day, but regardless, Le'Veon, the time is ticking, and this was a huge, huge flop from you and your agent. Your plan in set wasn't an awful one, but it completely got disrupted, and now I honestly think he's going to have to go sign rather a smaller long-term deal, or he's going to have to sign another one-year deal and prove it kind of thing if he doesn't come back this year. It's a, it's a mess for him at the very least. If you want to call it that, I guess it's an understatement. Let's move on to some of the games from last week and kind of quickly go over what we think of each one. Raiders 49ers, 34-3 49ers. What do you think about this game? Nick Mullins coming out of nowhere, putting on an MVP performance. The Raiders looking like absolute shit. What do you think, Adam? Give me your reaction on this game. Uh, it, was, it was brutal. Brutal. I mean, Nick Mullins came in and looked great, but he looked great against the Raiders, you know, so it'll be interesting to see if he's going to be the starter next week, and if he is, if he can produce something of what he did last week. The other shocking thing that happened in this game was Raheem Mostert's arm just snapped in half. Awful. I think he was leading the league in yards per carry. He was having a great year. Although not getting the volume that you want from fantasy, he was making the most out of every carry and scoring. A great guy to pick up on the waiver, a great guy to fill in right now with all the buys going on, especially with San Francisco's injury problems, and his arm snaps in half. Awful. And the 49ers have a bit of the Washington Redskins curse from last year for the running backs. No matter who's the running back there, they're dealing with some sort of injury at some point. So unfortunately for Shanahan, he's dealing with the running back injuries. But with Nick Mullins, we'll see if he's found a gem there. Moving on to the next game, Bears-Bills. Bears 41, Bills 9. The Bills have completed three touchdown passes as a team this entire year. And Nathan Peterman still has an NFL job what do you think about that adam it is just i think it's bullshit 
how is Kaepernick not on a team? And you're gonna exactly, have, yeah. have Peterman thrown around. And I think part around. of it is he's, he just doesn't want to settle for a backup spot, or he's kind of just done with the NFL at this point. But there's still other better backups out there. Even EJ Manuel called out the NFL, basically saying, "How is this guy still getting chances? How am I not getting a chance? I haven't thrown." five interceptions in back-to-back games. He's thrown two pick sixes, you know. Just it's embarrassing. Incredible. It's embarrassing. It's incredible. And someone actually asked me on Twitter, DM'd me about possibly picking up Kelvin Benjamin or Zay Jones on the waiver wire. And I was like, I'm not going to be that person that tells you to go pick up any Bills wide receiver ever on the waiver wire. It's three touchdowns as a team. Nick Mullins came in last week and threw yeah. the same amount as the Bills have all year. So, exactly. Why can't they find a Nick Mullins or oh something? I mean, they have Josh Allen. He's injured, but you know, Still. you got to get someone better. You sent Derek Anderson. The guy gets injured. Well, you got Barkley on the it's squad. It's awful. So we'll see what's going on. But the Bears, obviously, without even playing with Khalil Mack the last two Shit. games, they've been playing like crazy. And I love what I see from this Bears defense, even without Khalil Mack. So this is something that will be scary to watch as the season progresses right and, now. Uh, of course, he's expected to return next week yes. where he played the Lions, where oh my Stafford God. just got sacked a billion times, and that Lions never looked worse. He's going to have straight PTSD after that game. Stafford's never going to want to go take another snap in his life when Khalil Mack is done with him. Uh, the next game, Panthers-Buccaneers, 42 Panthers-Buccaneers, 28. Fitzmagic was back and the second half. The first half wasn't too pretty. What do you think about this game? Fantasy-wise, did anybody stand out for you? Yeah, this was a pretty awesome game to watch. It was yeah. you really thought Carolina was just gonna blow him out and you're like, Okay, Fitzpatrick's had his years, magic's run out, you know. But he of course turned them around in the second half. It led him to a twenty one nothing run. Nearly timed the game up. He looked good and I think he's gonna remain the starter for a while. Cam Newton looked pretty good, yep. nineteen of twenty five, two touchdowns. He's really starting to look like more of a passing quarterback rather than just a running quarterback who's a little inaccurate. McCaffrey had 17 carries. His longest rush of the day was 35 yards. Another thing that interested me was Cam Newton had 11 carries to that game. It was only for 33 yards, but he's still running the ball and passing the ball. I was impressed. One more thing, too. Curtis Samuel, out of nowhere, he had one touchdown catch and one touchdown run for the Panthers as well. Did you see that, that touchdown catch? He yes. ran like side to side to side. <sighs> It's the amount of athletes and joystick kind of players that they have on the Panthers. It's crazy with McCaffrey, with him. Yeah. It's The list goes on, and I'm so excited to see how Cam Newton's able to piece this together as the years go on and they continue to get better. It's a really cool nucleus that they have there on offense. Of course, with Devin Funches on the outside as that big possession receiver. Everybody else is kind of a gadget guy. So I really do love watching what they're able to do. And Fitzmagic, if you have him on Fantasy, I think it's funny. Our buddy Andrew Erickson, he put up a metaphor for starting Fitzpatrick, pretty much saying it's like picking your own partners for a group project in class. It can be super fun, and the upside's there when you go and pick your own friends to go partner up with. But the potential downside is very scary to think of and it can all go to shit so you sit there and you hope for the best and that's kind of how he felt with the first half and then coming back for the second half the fitz magic came back at least for fantasy purposes just a roller coaster for him and really? another thing that stood out was mike evans yes targets but one cat certainly be worried about that because the volume's there but it's definitely a little bit weird that like one catch out of 10 targets. Adam Humphreys. Adam Humphreys. That's another guy that's going to be on our fire waiver wire when we talk about that in a little bit. 
We're going to move on to the next game. Chiefs-Browns. Chiefs 37, Browns 21. Of course, the Browns with some coaching changes. Their head coach and offensive coordinator gone last week and Greg Williams taking over. What do you think about this game? And another question following that is what do you think about the Browns? Moving forward with the coaching changes, do you think this helps Mayfield, Najoku, Landry, Chubb, or do you think this negatively affects them? I definitely think it it helps them. Although a coaching change midseason shouldn't help a rookie quarterback, it seems like it kind of has with Baker. He looked pretty good against the Chiefs. He did throw an interception, but then again, Mahomes threw an interception. Nick Chubb also looked great. He had 22 carries, 85 yards and a touchdown. Duke Johnson emerged out of nowhere with two touchdowns, nine targets. Jarvis Landry has started to scare people. I think he, he might be someone who you would not consider a start every week just because Baker seems to be finding everyone else and just not looking his way for the red zone targets. And I think Njoku is slowly starting to step up as that red zone threat, especially Duke Johnson, another red zone threat. I don't think Landry is what we thought he was. And I think the Dolphins kind of just found out what his full potential was, realized that wasn't what they were looking for, and they got the best they could get out of him with a couple of draft picks from the Browns. Yeah, I'm, I kind of disagree on that one. I think right now, if anything, if your trade deadline is still not approached for your fantasy league, don't throw all the chips on the table for Landry, but I think someone's going to freak out right now and be willing to trade him, and you might be able to get a good piece moving forward. Buy low, absolutely. But I definitely do think Jarvis is a very talented receiver. He led the league in receptions last year in an awful Miami offense. And right now, I think this is more of a long-term play for the Cleveland Browns. And I really do think Jarvis is going to emerge again. I don't know when. I'm not saying that this is bounce back week time. I think we keep an eye on it. But I don't think Jarvis is starting to flame out. I just think he kind of has had an off couple games. But he's been in this crappy offensive position before. And it's a much better one than last year. So I think at some point targets come his way or a few touchdowns slip out and starts to get the roll of it again. It really depends on this new coaching staff and what their plan is because clearly, you know, they had Duke Johnson Jr. in the back of their pocket the whole year. And I didn't have on the fire waiver wire because I believe he should have already been rostered. He still put up good enough stats and good enough upside to have him rostered on your bench. But now you're finally starting to see his potential in the pass game that we talked about earlier in the year. And two touchdowns out of the passing game. This is something exciting to see with him and Chubb. Of course, moving Hyde, they had bigger plans. Another quick thing about Landry is Baker Mayfield will sometimes just target him when he's throwing the ball away. So he will now, uh, every once in a while, get just a random couple of targets that where Baker just throws it in the ground or throws it away. And he just gets the target because <laughs> he was in the area, yeah. but it wasn't even a pass he could catch, you know. Definitely interesting. I think his targets are a little bit inflated with Baker as his quarterback. I think down the stretch, he could get better with just figuring out his new coach and kind of just making a connection with Baker. So I definitely think there's potential for him, but. Yeah, I think Chuck Pagano and Bruce Arians are both two names that I've heard that I really do like if they decide to not stick with Greg Williams long-term. That's something we could talk about on a future podcast for the future of the Browns, which is never the most exciting thing to talk about. (laughs) We'll move on to the least exciting game of the week, the Jets versus the Dolphins. Dolphins 13, Jets 6, Sam Darnold with four different interceptions, and the only touchdown actually happened in the game was a pick six from him. Let's talk this game briefly because there wasn't a lot of fantasy value to squeeze out of it. Yeah, it was brutal. Uh, Darnold looked bad. Osweiler didn't look good. Both teams' run game was all 
funky and weird. Crowell had 13 carries. McGuire in his first came back had seven carries. Frank Gore, this is the thing that will blow everyone's mind. Frank Gore, 20 carries. Kenyon Drake had three. So I don't I understand how Kenyon Drake couldn't get more than three carries after what he's been doing these last couple of weeks. Herdenon, the tight end for New York, looked all right. He had 60 yards on four targets and four catches. But that's about it in this game. Vontae Parker, no he, yeah, he, he didn't really do much. And he had one catch, two targets. And it was kind of Danny Amendola and all the workload for the receivers. I hated watching this game. It was awful. It was brutal. It was a really tough one to watch. And Darnold's going to bounce back. But this is a really good learning experience for him because you can't really get much worse than this. This is what I was projecting for the Lions when they played the Lions week one. I was I, This was the game I was projecting. Yeah, and then, it, it, and then it didn't happen. for 39, 200 yards, and four interceptions. And then it didn't happen. He threw a pick six, though. He, he did. did. You, did. You, thought it, you thought it was over right there. You were like, oh, yeah. we're throwing the hat in. Uh, yeah, I remember that. You are like, I was at the game. I thought it was all done. And then I showed up really quick. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go uh, the next game, Steelers-Ravens. Always a good one to watch. 23 Steelers, Ravens 16. Give me your thoughts on this game. Big Ben always performs under pressure. I feel like when a team blitzes a lot like the Ravens, he finds a way to actually put up good fantasy numbers in those games. What do you think about the fantasy projections moving forward, especially with the Ravens who have lost three in a row moving into a bye week? So keep an eye out for Lamar Jackson. What do you think going on? Yeah, that could be interesting. I don't think Lamar Jackson will play this year unless they get eliminated from the playoffs and he could show up maybe week 15, 16, or 17. I actually think he'll probably end up playing week 17 if the Ravens are eliminated. The thing I noticed about the Steelers was Ben Roethlisberger, he looked great against a great defense on the road. I think a lot of people had Ben Roethlisberger benched, myself included. Myself included. I, I told my buddy to bench him for Mitch Trubisky, and he made the big debate for, no, Bill's passing defense is actually solid, and sure enough, they held the eight points that Ben Roethlisberger went off for 25. Yeah, I made the decision to go with Fitzmagic over Big Ben this week, and they both put up just about the same amount of fantasy points, but I felt a lot better with Fitzmagic's you know, potential upside instead of Big Ben against a very tough Ravens D. But it showed that I think Road Ben is a thing in the past now, something we've talked about numerous times this year. Yeah, he got banged up early in the year, and it got really scary really quick thinking that this was going to be a continuing thing. But it shows he's been very consistent this year. He's been very good, and he was battling with a slight injury as well. So it shows that he's actually feeling healthy, because that was one thing that concerned me since he had a Q next to his name for the majority of the week as well. And you're playing the Ravens on the road. If you're a good fantasy player, you're realizing the red alarms there, and you're benching him for somebody. Just don't listen to Adam when he tells you to put in Mitchell Trubisky. That's the only (laughs) advice I have for you today. But actually, Trubisky is actually a really good stream this week with the matchup that he has. So take that one from me. (laughs) The Lions, yeah. I knew when it gets the Lions. Adam Adam was a week, week early. (laughs) Let's talk Lions. That's a smooth transition in. Vikings 24, Lions 9. Tell me what you think about this game. Try not to cry. Honestly, it was brutal. It didn't even look like there was an offensive line for the Lions. Stafford just had no time to pass. I wouldn't be worried about Marvin Jones or Galladay. Stafford just literally could not pass the ball because he was under so much pressure. The Minnesota Vikings, one of the greatest defensive teams in NFL history, set a franchise record of 
10 sacks on Stafford this week. So if that doesn't say anything, then I don't know what will. This defense, they came to play. This is what the Vikings, I thought, would look like all year. They just demolished the Lions. Yeah, it was definitely what I thought the Vikings were going to look like all year. But it hasn't been that way, of course. It's been a tough year for the Vikings up and down, especially on that defense. But the pass rush was there. And that's the one thing that I think they've been a little bit nervous about. So I'm glad to see that from an NFL fan. But of course, talking to you as a Lions fan, I feel awful for this last game. I think for me, it was Mr. Checkdown wasn't there. Golden Tate, and I think exactly. you really started to see what was going on with the offense and the holes that it was starting to have. So I'm glad that they made some signings to try and fill the role and the target share that Golden Tate had, which was massive. For the Vikings, Kirk Cousins continues to have a great year, and Dalvin Cook had a yard run. big run. So it looks like and that Hammy's feeling good, if I may say. It's looking real good. So Dalvin Cook, he's back. No more Latavius Murray. Get him off your team if you're moving forward. Unless you have Dalvin Cook, keep him as a handcuff. Any other names that popped out from this game? Because I know Diggs was out. Thielen didn't have the best game, and that was something I predicted. Tell me any... Well, shut him down. He did it for Calvin Johnson. He said, a Viking cannot have this record. This <laughs> has to belong to Calvin Johnson and you, Adam Thielen. So I'm just glad Thielen doesn't own that outright nine straight games record. It's set at eight between him and Calvin Johnson. So. Do, do you hear how proud Adam was of that right there? That's a silver lining. He's like, you know, I feel so shitty about this game, and I cried for two days. But, you know, we did this for you, Calvin Johnson. Megatron, we see you, bro. This was for you. It's the little victories for for Adam this week. I expect Snacks Harrison to stop any runner trying to break a Barry Sanders record, too. Yeah, looking like a snack over there on that (laughs) defensive line. I'm liking that move. We'll go Falcons-Redskins for the next game. Falcons 38, Redskins 14. Matt Ryan absolutely destroyed this team, and it looks like the Redskins with HaHa Clinton Dix coming over didn't help as much as I actually anticipated for a team that actually had a very good defense, but it's mainly their run defense that's been so good. But they got teared apart. What do you think about this game and anything you pull out from it? They did. I mean, the biggest thing, obviously, Julio Jones touchdown. Oh, my God. Oh my! It's about yeah. It's about time, you know. It, Nine weeks in. You saw how some of the people were celebrating. It looked like they just won the Super Bowl. It was insane the celebration on Twitter. I was getting annoyed by it. Was it was almost pathetic. So, like, this guy scored a touchdown. Like I get he, he doesn't score touchdowns, but do we really need to create a whole robotic image of him <laughs> scoring the touchdown? Oh, you, you know? saw that shit from Bleacher yeah, Report. Like, I thought yes. it was ridiculous. It was just yeah, too much. So. Yeah. Congrats to him, but he admitted himself. He's a team player. He doesn't care if he gets the touchdown. He just wants the touchdown. It could be him, Matt Ryan, any other receiver. He just wants his team to win, and he's he's not a stats guy. And I think that's the biggest reason why he doesn't get a lot of touchdowns is because he knows he's probably better off as a decoy than maybe even a guy getting three straight jump balls. We'll never know, but... Here's what I pull out from this game. After a sluggish first game of the season for Matt Ryan, he's put up by far the best statistical season of his entire career and much better than his MVP season. Unfortunately for him, the entire NFL has stepped it up in regards to stats, and it's a different kind of offense now around the league, but Matt Ryan is playing out of his mind. Tevin Coleman looked like an absolute beast. 
in the run game, in the pass game, it didn't matter. Anytime Tevin Coleman touched the ball, he looked like an absolute animal. And I watched this game myself. I actually even went back and looked at some tape for Tevin, and it looked fantastic. I'm an Edo Smith owner on my bench, and I'm feeling good about having him as a potential flex fill-in for any type of bye weeks right now. But that's just because of his touchdown upside. Other than that, Tevin Coleman looks like he's completely dominating this number one role. And if I'm the Falcons, I'm moving on from Freeman because of the injury concern. And if you don't have roto assurance and you're a Freeman owner, I don't know what the hell you're doing. You should have definitely got the unwrapped 20% off your one-time purchase to protect your investment on Devontae Freeman because he's 100% missing eight games this year. So you would have gotten your money back, but you didn't. So Falcons, fantasy owners of Devontae Freeman, I'm all about moving on, moving forward. He's a good running back, but the injuries are just too concerning for me. Is there anything else you want to pull out from this game, Adam, before we move on? Another thing I saw was Julio Jones actually should have had another touchdown if it wasn't for Josh Norman absolutely just tackling him on a pass play. Matt Ryan saw him. He beat Josh Norman. He would have had a touchdown, but Josh Norman straight up laid out and tackled Julio Jones before he could even make the catch, causing a flag, and it was a smart play by Josh Norman. He got a lot of grief for it because it was a bit of a dirty play and could have injured Julio Jones, but at the end of the day, it was a football play that he made, and it it prevented the touchdown, and he made the right call, I think. Yeah, I actually agree on that. I do remember that play. I actually was thinking the same thing. It's one of those clear path ball fouls in basketball when it's clearly you're wrapping the guy up when he's running full speed, but you you just have to do it. It's one of those you're going to go make him earn that instead of just giving it away. I get it. It's a chance kind of game and sometimes you got to make a dirty play here and there to make it work for you we'll move on to texans broncos texans 19 broncos 17 the demarius thomas bowl what do you think about this game demarius thomas obviously we touched on that 61 yards three catches another thing i noticed about him he also looked a little bit nervous and kind of confused sometimes he actually ended up having to call timeout himself because he just straight up didn't know the play and literally they had an image of him just kind of looking around like i don't know what to do he mouthed something that said i don't know what to do or like where do i go and he ended up calling a timeout for it so i definitely think this bye week will help him out a lot give him some time to learn the playbook learn the coaches and learn the system can you imagine Uh, playing for the broncos for your whole career and then having the first game that you play not in that jersey being against your team when all you've had is your alliances towards Denver. You've been a Bronco, been a fan of the Orange, been a fan of all of these guys that are in Mile High City. You have your first game and you're playing against them. How do you not run into the huddle? How do you not make a mistake and go high-five someone when they score a touchdown and be like, oh shit, never mind. You're so used to it, you're programmed to root for the Broncos. When you get traded and now you're playing them on that first game, I feel like there's no way that you can completely shake everything. It has to be such a mind-blowing thing for a player. Exactly. And another thing that surprised me was right after the game, he ran straight off the field. He just went straight into the locker room, and I wasn't sure if he just was kind of injured or, or needed something looked at immediately. Yeah, I thought, I thought he would have had a big reunion on the field. Because it wasn't really his fault for leaving the team, you know, no. it was a business decision. I don't think he would get hated too much for that, but I, it was, it was kind of weird. I totally agree. That is weird. You know, you usually expect the whole dap-up session and trading jerseys and taking exactly, pictures all over the place. Yeah. We'll see what moves forward. I expect Demarius Thomas to have a very good role on this Houston Texans team with how Deshaun Watson is playing right now and of course taking pressure off Hopkins it's just can only be a good thing for this offense in my opinion one more thing if 
Matt Prater was still kicking for Denver, he would have made that game-winning oh, field yeah? goal. I'm sure. Oh, my God. He, Brandon McManus will never be a Prater. Never be a Prater. It's the little the little lion victories for exactly. Adam, for yeah, Adam we today. we got to find other ways to win, you know, yeah, no, outside we, of real victories. We got our ass kicked, but we still have Matt Prater as our kicker, so you can suck this. <laughs> you know, that's exactly where Adam's at today. That's every Lions fan's pride right there, I'm support, Matt Prater. I'm supporting my friend. Yeah, he, he wants to be happy today, although the team lost. And I'm not going to get sad until we talk about the Monday game, because that's my team. So let's yeah. talk about a few more before we jump into my depression. Chargers versus Seahawks. Chargers 25, Seahawks 17. What do you take away from this game? For me, Tyrell Williams is better than Mike Williams. He touched down in three straight games. He's got that chemistry there. Tyrell Williams is a serious threat, and Mike Williams still has a lot of figuring out to do. Keenan Allen's just tearing it up, but not with touchdowns. So what do you think about this game? Seahawks with the funniest and most choreographed touchdown celebration of the year so far. Anything fantasy-worthy from this game? Yeah, that touchdown celebration was something. How, I mean, how long did they how have to long? that? How long? Totally, geez. if you keep practicing that amount, you'd probably beat the Chargers. But exactly. that was smooth. That was smooth, bro. If I was there in that stadium, I would have been going crazy if I saw that touchdown. I, I, I was laughing so hard on Twitter. Anything else from this game besides their excessive touchdown celebration? Well, I think we've started to see that Keenan Allen is not the touchdown man. And I kind of thought that from the beginning i thought maybe since he was the number one receiver the stud for rivers that he would get red zone targets regardless but the williams boys have really just stepped up for touchdowns tyrell wins more more than mike and he seems to be a little home run hitter so if your team's two and six one and seven and you're playing someone who's, who's got Gurley, Hunt, or Saquon on their team. Go ahead, start Tyrell Williams. Shoot for the stars. Try to get that 25-point, like, three receptions, 95 yards, two-touchdown game, you know? I think he's the guy who could just shock the number one seed in your league and just piss him off and just have some fun with a season that could be broken. Yeah, Rivers has been playing well. Let's move on to the next game, which was the most exciting one of the entire week. Rams versus Saints. Saints 45, Rams 35. We had a Joe Horn tribute touchdown celebration, which was awesome, from Michael Thomas pulling out the cell phone underneath the field goal post and making the phone call just like Joe Horn back in the day. I saw a report. uh, Mr. Horn went and bought a Michael Thomas jersey right after seeing that touchdown celebration and hit him up, of course, for the thank you for the tribute. I think it was awesome. And then, of course, the one that I absolutely hated was for the Titans when they got that interception. They ran over to the middle of the Cowboys star and put his arms out just like Terrell Owens did when just like just like Terrell Owens did when he was on the 49ers. So this was the week of the throwback celebrations and a ton of disrespect. I loved it. As a football fan, as a Cowboy fan, Byron Jones, I see you, boy. Continue to protect that star. But, yeah, I love the celebrations going on. Back to the Rams and Saints game. Rams lose their first game of the season. Of course, still put up a great game. Still put up a great game, though. And this is not something that you're going to see them do very often this year is all I can say in regards to losing. I'm not saying they're going to continue and win every other game moving forward, but this was their first true test for a team that I really think has the shot of taking them down, just like the Chiefs possibly do as well. 
Very few teams that can match up with the Rams on both sides of the ball. What do you take from this game? Cooper Cup returning, having a pretty productive game. You can't go wrong with Gurley and Goff. It's just a story there, but the Saints looking great. Kamara always looking great. Michael Thomas putting up a Saints record for the amount of receiving yards that he had in an absolute monstrous game. What do you think about this, Adam? Yeah, Todd Gurley. I mean, what a busted day. Only like 19 fantasy points. That is not what I expected. Yeah, come on, Gurley. Come on. For, come on. Todd, no, no, no. For Todd, <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. 19 points. I'll take that all day. But I was definitely expecting 30-plus from Todd Gurley. Yeah, so. Come on. Come on, but, man. Come on. Yeah, Michael Thomas, he looked like the stud he looked in the first couple weeks. He kind of slowed things down, but he's picking it back up. 15 targets, 12 catches, 211 yards, and obviously the great touchdown to top it all off. He actually said that he went to a gas station before the game and bought two just little flip phones. I heard, I heard, I heard liquor store. I heard liquor oh, store. Oh, liquor store, liquor, yeah. <laughs> and just stashed them under both goalposts. So it was pretty cool to see how it kind of all unfolded and that he got to do his celebration. Yeah, at that time of the game, too. It was it was late in the game, too. It was a very important touchdown also. Yeah, so exactly, yeah. It was kind of just the nail in the coffin. Yeah, I loved, you know? I loved, loved, loved seeing that. I'm a big Michael Thomas fan, personally. Uh, My boy Christian has him on his fantasy team, and of course, he's a happy man right now. Let's move on to the game that we thought was going to be the game of the week. Patriots-Packers, what do you think about this game? Tom Brady showing up and really performing late in the game. Cordell Patterson is now a running back slash wide receiver. Even on ESPN Fantasy Leagues, they actually give you the opportunity now to put him in either spot. Very progressive from CBS and ESPN Fantasy Leagues. I love seeing that. So let's talk this game, fantasy value, Josh Gordon, Tom Brady, every other guy on that team, James White playing out of his mind, Sony Michelle's out, who gives a shit, we're going to put in anybody and give him 10 carries, it's the Bill Belichick way. What do you think, Adam? Tell me your reaction on this game. Yeah, um, the funny thing was that Brady came out and dominated this game where he was in Gillette Stadium uh, and facing Green Bay. But if you think uh, a few years ago, however long it was ago, when Green Bay faced New England last, this is only Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady's second matchup of their careers. And the first matchup was in Lambeau, where Aaron Rodgers absolutely destroyed Tom Brady, the Patriots. So I think this is a game that would be really, really interesting to see on a neutral site. On a neutral site. Let's, Let's take them to London. Let's take them to London. Yeah, honestly, London fans would love that. I mean, how can you go wrong with Brady and Rodgers? Yeah, eventually me and you got to pack up our bags and go to London one year. I think that would be a crazy trip to go check out a game. Rather there or Mexico City, I think either one would be an awesome experience. Absolutely. And then, yeah, Cordell Patterson, that was playing running back the other day. I I don't think that's going to be a thing to continue for the future. The week before, he had 10 carries also. So this is It'll be interesting when Sony comes back. Yeah, I agree. And with James White, you never know if he's going to play as a running back or kind of a wide receiver out of the backfield, too. The Patriots really have it going on with the amount of weapons that they have. And Josh Gordon, I was reading up on some statistics that matched up with Brandon Cooks during their time in New England. I know it's a smaller sample size for Josh Gordon, but 
when you're looking at pace, if he would have kept that up for the whole year, he matched, if not exceeded, Brandon Cook's role from last year. So this is something where they got him for a fifth round pick. Yes, Josh Gordon is a sketchy guy to have on your team and have in your organization if he doesn't do it the right way and lets his problems get to him. But when he's taking this seriously and he's on the field, you see what's going on. This is a guy that can play some serious ball. And like we were talking about when this actually went down, I think this is going to rather be a blessing or a curse for him. It's going to be his last place playing football, or it's going to be his place where he turns his shit around and gets serious. And you can see it with him and his statistics and his fantasy value. He solidified himself as a wide receiver too now. Yeah, I agree with that. He had his kind of coming out game this week with five catches, 130 yards, and had 10 targets. He tied Edelman in targets with 10, and he just looks great. You know, he had that broken tackle for that 40-yard touchdown catch and run, and I think he slowly started to gain Brady's trust and kind of entering into that triangle of Brady's trust of James White, Edelman, and Brady of them three. Once he gets that kind of Tom Brady connection, I think... The sky is the limit for this guy. I think he will definitely be a playoff winner or a person who will help you get into the playoffs right at the, the last second just because he'll be so explosive in these last couple weeks because he's really starting to click with Brady. What can you do wrong with Brady? He's showed that he's still at 41 years old performing at such a high level. And when you put him against Aaron Rodgers, you can't compare them to completely because they're in completely different systems, completely different situations, completely different skill sets. And people, of course, have the debate on who's the GOAT, at least skill-wise. And I, I personally and the other co-host that I have for the other Unwrapped podcast all think that Aaron Rodgers, skill-wise, is a better quarterback, possibly the best that we've ever seen. But... In the yeah, in that. the system that he's in, and with the position that he's always in, and his injuries, it's so tough. But when you put it down from mechanics, skill, upside, what he's able to do for your football organization, you got 20 seconds left on the clock, and you score, it seems like a dagger, and you give the ball back to Rodgers, you're looking around saying, oh my god, 20 seconds, you know, that's that's too long. Oh, no touchdowns? Oh shit, you know. Doesn't matter. He's got the sideline. That's all he needs. And I don't remember a quarterback that I've ever seen in my entire life that I can see 15, 20 seconds on the clock and say, oh, no, he's, he's got it. You know, that's, that's a probably going to happen. You know, they just, they're celebrating way too soon. I think that says it enough right there. But when it comes down to it, Tom Brady, he wins. He's a winner. He gets all the help in the world in New England. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. No matter what, New England always finds a way to win. Finds that next guy up. Makes that trade where it feels like they're breaking the league. But no, they're not. They've made the league and they're the only dynasty that you and I have seen in our entire life. It's exciting to see and moving forward it's going to be something to keep an eye on for who's going to stand out in this confusing New England offense. But don't think Cordero Patterson is going to keep it up if Sony Michelle returns. We got one more game to go over, and that's going to be the Monday night game. Titans 28, Cowboys 14. Sad face. I'm very upset about this game and Jason Garrett and everything else that's going on besides Amari Cooper, who looked great. Give me your thoughts on this because Mariota looked like an all-star. Derrick Henry goddamn scored. Deion Lewis looked like an all-star. I couldn't stand to watch it, but from a fantasy standpoint, the Titans actually came through this week. Ezekiel Elliott with another consistent week. For Amari Cooper, it looks like eight minutes in when he was scoring, it looks like they made a good decision, at least moving forward. Give me your initial thoughts on the last game that we got to cover here. This game was actually so, so awesome for me because I'm in, a, in one of my leagues. I started off 0-4 with Leonard Fournette. 
I've won four straight and was on my way to win a fifth straight. And Saturday night, I picked up the Jets' defense and was going to play them on Sunday, but I forgot to. So the Jets' game started, and I was screwed. Oh, and not to mention, the Jets scored eight points, which is exactly what I needed to win. I needed 7.96, actually. So eight would have done it. So I was so bummed out, like, all of Monday, just disappointed, because I, I had the Titans defense, and I was like, there's no way. With Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper in Dallas, there's just no way. And sure enough, the Titans pulled it out with four sacks of strip sack fumble and an interception with a great touchdown celebration on the star you're killing me man you're killing me and my heart what What? are you doing to me here i did and then it was even better because in my friends league who i really help out with a lot because he just isn't a big fantasy football guy so in adam's in adam's alternate league that he plays in (laughs) exactly he needed 23 points or something from amari cooper and ezekiel and i'm thinking there's no way i'm gonna win both of these games with the titans defense and zeke and amari one of them's gonna go off and defeat the other but sure enough it was a win-win baby yeah that's that's some funny stuff and not for me yeah. <laughs> don't do not celebrate on the star byron jones a promising future, though. byron jones <laughs> will come and kill your family if you go on the star again uh let's let's move on to our fire waiver wire segment for this week week 10 fire waiver wire for us Mike Davis from Seattle, who outrushed Carson, looked very good in this game. 15 for 62 running and 7 for 45 in the past game. He looked like the most talented running back on that roster, on the field that day. And I am an owner of Chris Carson, so I'm not the happiest guy in the world. But I did put in a claim for Mike Davis to do exactly what I did with Crowell and McGuire and just try and handcuff and see what moves forward with all of them. At least I got all of them on the roster because running back's a tough position to figure out. Curtis Samuel, Carolina, 133-yard run for a touchdown and two catches for 25 yards and a touchdown in the passing game. Adam Humphreys, like you brought up earlier, Tampa Bay, eight catches for 82 yards and two touchdowns. Cordell Patterson, New England, 11 rushes for 61 yards and a touchdown. He did catch a pass for seven yards as well. Josh Doxson, Washington, three catches for 31 yards and a touchdown. Did have a drop or two and a couple plays that Alex Smith missed him, but he looked like the number one guy on that team for me. Marquez Valdez-Scanling, Green Bay, three catches for 101 yards. Pierre Garçon on San Francisco, three catches, 56 yards and a touchdown. Ben Watson, such an awesome touchdown celebration. Announcing that his wife is pregnant with twins. He's already a father of five. So he put the football in his stomach, put up, uh, you know, the number seven up in the air. So to announce that they are having twins. So good for you, Ben Watson. Go pick him up if you need some tight end help. Chris Herndon, another tight end from the New York Jets, as well as Jeff Hewerman, another tight end from the Denver Broncos. All had very good games this week, especially Hewerman. So go look for Yeah, yeah. Speaking of him, I actually, uh, I made a great call with him. My dad was scrambling to find a tight end to play and sure enough I told him to play Herman and the funny thing about that is one of my dad's clients Jeff Herman's uncle is my dad's client so it was kind of ironic you know, there was like a little bit of a connection so I was like hey dad next time you see him tell him hey your nephew's killing it for my fantasy team yeah thank you man for for the points I appreciate it we're doing a cool new segment that Adam and I agreed on and remember that one week where I promised you Ertz was going to score a touchdown and he did 
Yes, I do too. So we're going to do this every week. We're going to call it our touchdown promise of the week. Of course, we can't promise you in fantasy football because it's a cruel, cruel world. But you know where to find me and Adam. We're always willing to fight you if you hate us and you took our advice and you're not happy with us. We will throw hands here at Unwrapped. <laughs> we're just totally kidding, but we're going to make our promises of the week. I'm going to start with mine. Tyler Boyd, Cincinnati Bengals. you got A.J. Green that's going to be out for a couple weeks. And yes, Andy Dalton's production hurts when A.J. Green is out, but Boyd's already been in almost borderline must-start every week anyways. He's 100% a must-start moving forward, and I do believe he's going to score this week. So there's my promise of the week. What is your promise of the week, Adam? Tell our people, promise them, and definitely tell them your address too just in case. I am going to go with something that hasn't happened all year. A Leonard Fournette touchdown in his first game back since his injuries over and over again. I think against a weak Colts defense, he could just punch one in with the Jaguars needing some life, slowly falling out of this playoff race. I think Fournette knows he's got to step up, he's got to help out Bortles, and he's got to be the man who he has been in the past year. Definitely a bold prediction. We're going Fournette on our first official promise of the year. I love it, Adam. Your bold is black coffee. I'm loving it. Do you have rankings for me this week? And we're going to start with quarterback. Do you have a top 10 for me this week? Yeah, I got a top 10. And I'm going to read mine right after you. Perfect. So I'm going to start out with number one, obviously, Patrick Mahomes. He's got to Arizona. I think he's... He clear-cut number one. Next up, I got Cam Newton at Pittsburgh, but still a good matchup. After Cam, I got a red-hot Drew Brees at Cincinnati. Their secondary has looked weak and banged up. Coming in at number four, I got Aaron Rodgers. He's just not been quite there, but he's Aaron Rodgers, and he's playing the Dolphins, who just haven't looked too good, but I think Aaron Rodgers is due for a, a nice game. Coming in at number five, I got Philip Rivers against Oakland. I think he's just about to shred this Oakland defense. They've looked atrocious. They let Nick Mullins tear them up, so why can't Philip Rivers? Yeah. Coming in at six, I've got Matt Ryan. Been red hot Matt. I think he's going to do well against Cleveland. Coming in at eight, I got Ryan Fitzpatrick against Washington. He's home. I think they're kind of in in a must-win mode, even though they're starting to follow this playoff race. Ryan Fitzpatrick is still fighting for a job, so to speak, and I think he's going to ball out. Coming in at 8, I got Tom Brady at Tennessee. I think he can't go wrong with Brady. He's starting to develop a connection with Gordon. Gronk should be back. Michelle should be back. I think this offense is trending upwards for them. Coming at 10, I got Carson Wentz, home against Dallas. I think he's poised to have a great game with Golden Tate. I think he'll definitely help spread out the field. I even think Carson Wentz could get higher than 10. I just like a lot of quarterbacks a little bit better than him. Yeah. What do you got, Perry? Good rankings. I'm going to go Pat Mahomes, number one, against Arizona. It's an obvious one for me. Number two, Phillip Rivers. I think he's going to absolutely destroy this rebuilding Oakland defense. Look what Nick Mullins did last week. So Pat Mahomes, one. Rivers, two. Cam Newton, three, against Pittsburgh. I have... Drew Brees, number four, against the Bengals. Number five, Aaron Rodgers against the Dolphins. Six, Jared Goff against the Seahawks. Seven, Matt Ryan against the Browns. Eight, Ryan Fitzpatrick against Washington. Nine, Tom Brady versus the Tennessee Titans. And ten, Ben Roethlisberger versus the Carolina Panthers. Similar list for us, I would say the one guy that is a smart 
pick for me that would be outside of my top 10, as you already mentioned, Carson Wentz. Keep out for him just for the Golden Tate edition. I think it's going to help him. I just, I'm not a huge fan of the matchup this week, but he's uh, number 11 for me. So he's going to be that borderline guy. I wonder why you're not a fan of the matchup. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to sit there and root for him. They're playing the Cowboys. <laughs> but, yeah, I, it's, it, it is a good defense for the Cowboys, but look what uh, Mariota just did. So we'll see what they do. This week, you have your top 10 running back rankings that you want to start with. Of course. So at number one, Todd Gurley. I think everyone's going to have Todd Gurley at their number one. Number two, Melvin Gordon at Oakland. I think him and Phil Rivers should just kill that defense. Three, Kareem Hunt, home against Arizona. Four, I'm going to go Saquon Barkley. Five, I'm going to go Alvin Kamara. Six, James Conner. Seven, Ezekiel Elliott. Eight, Christian McCaffrey. Nine, Adrian Peterson. And I'm going to have a tie for 10 with Joe Mixon and Nick Chubb. I think Joe Mixon's the clear-cut better player, but Nick Chubb just has that great matchup against Atlanta. So I think yeah. they'll, they'll be very similar to an RB1 play this week. Yeah, Atlanta's actually very weak against the running back, especially running backs that can catch the ball in the backfield, with Chubb and Duke Johnson both can do. So keep an eye out for both of them against a very good matchup. I'm going to go with my top 10. Number one, Todd Gurley for Seattle, the best player in the league right now. Number two, Kareem Hunt. Go follow Adam's Twitter page and our Twitter page. Make sure to go retweet the tweet for the Kareem Hunt hat. If you haven't done so already, we're going to be giving that away. I'm going to keep mentioning that until we give it away because it's a huge one. Beautiful hat. Adam, big ups for that one. Keep an eye out on Twitter for that. That's our number two. Number three, Melvin Gordon versus this Oakland defense. He's going to absolutely destroy them. Number four, I have Saquon Barkley versus San Francisco. Five, I have Alvin Kamara versus Cincinnati. Six, I have James Conner versus Carolina. Seven, I have Ezekiel Elliott versus Philadelphia. Eight, I have Christian McCaffrey versus Pittsburgh. Then I have James White at Tennessee. I have Nick Chubb and Atlanta and Tevin Coleman versus Cleveland. Do you have your wide receiver rankings? Yeah, and I'm going to do a half-point PPR for mine. I I think that's what you're doing, too. I got number one, Michael Thomas, coming off one of his best games of his career, 211 yards at Cincinnati. I just don't see how you can go wrong with him. Yeah. Number two, Antonio Brown. He's always just putting up touchdowns, finding a way to get you multiple fantasy points. Three, I'm going to go Devontae Adams. He's just been getting touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, it seems like. Number four, I'm going to go OBJ at San Francisco. I think Eli might get his shit together and start targeting Odell like he has in the last couple games. He's certainly looked a lot better than he did to start the season. Number five, I'm going to go with Keenan Allen at Oakland. Keenan hasn't looked this good this year but he had a great game last week 130 yards and obviously it's Oakland I expect that trio of Allen Rivers and Gordon to just go off coming in at number six I have Tyreek Hill he's probably going to have Patrick Peterson shadowing him and Peterson is fast but no one's faster than Tyreek Hill and it just takes one deep bomb for him to burst out for your fantasy squad next up I'm going to go Julio Jones he's at Cleveland I think Denzel Ward will give him a a decent challenge just because he's looked great this year but Julio Jones is just a target machine and reception machine so we'll see if he can get another touchdown this week but I don't see it happening next up I got Robert Woods at Seattle I think this is a pretty good matchup for him They'll have eyes on Cooper Cup after he just had a monster game. His back from injury, obviously Cooks is still there. And I think Woods can maybe fly under the radar and get some 
touchdowns that he wouldn't normally have gotten. Next up at nine, I'm going to go Tyler Boyd. I think he's going to pair it up, like you said, get that touchdown. Playing New Orleans, no A.J. Green, but I think Andy Dalton is definitely going to force the ball to Boyd. And finally, I'm going to go with Juju Smith-Schuster against Carolina. I think he's just been consistent all year, and I think he's due for for another breakout game where he's going to get 100 yards and a touchdown. I got Mike Thomas, number one. He put up such a monstrous game. I think it's going to continue. He's one of my favorite players in this league. Antonio Brown, number two, versus Carolina. Number three, Devontae Adams versus Miami. Four, Odell Beckham Jr. at San Francisco. Five, Tyler Boyd. My guy. I think he's going to have a great, great week. Six, Julio Jones right behind him. Seven, I have Keenan Allen. Eight, I have Tyreek Hill. Nine, I have Robert Woods. And 10, I also have Juju Smith-Schuster against Carolina. So very similar lists. I think for Rams wide receivers, you can make an argument for Cooks or Woods within that top 10. I have Cooks actually for me at 12, and I have Cooper Cup at 16. So all of them are extremely good plays this week and pretty much every week as long as they're healthy. I still think that they're the best team in the league. Do you disagree and think anyone else is number one right now? Maybe the Chiefs and the Saints, just because the Saints have looked so hot. I think the Saints are probably the most complete team outside the Rams when fully healthy. The Chiefs probably have the best offense in the NFL, but their defense is just incredibly weak, and I think that could come to haunt them come playoff time. Totally agree for that one, and I think right now with playoffs nearing for a lot of fantasy leagues, in a few weeks moving forward, you're looking for the moves that are going to win your league. So for us, we always have our DMs open, me and Adam. Go check us out and hit us up with any questions that you have. I know we have multiple people that ask us for trade advice, for waiver wire advice, everything matchups week to week. Such a fun episode, episode 9, sponsored by Roto Assurance. Make sure to go check out their website, rotoassurance.com, and use promo code UNWRAPPED for 20% off your one-time purchase. Protect your fantasy football investment if you have any injury-prone stars, if you are a Fournette owner this year, Freeman, any of those guys, you need to be covering your investment so you get your money back if something goes wrong. Make sure you're checking out our Twitter at FFB Unwrapped and retweeting the tweet for the Kareem Hunt signed hat. And you must be following us and Adam's page at Everyday FFB. You can go follow me as well at Perry Aston. Make sure to go follow us on the podcast.com site or Apple Podcast app. Subscribe and give us a rating. Anything else for you today before we sign off, Adam? I think that's it, man. Go Lions. Yeah, go Lions. Go offensive line. Protect Matthew Stafford if you can exactly. while he still has any brain cells. So, <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. We'll see you next time for another fun week in the NFL and talk some more fantasy football. Bye, guys.